filmmaking and movie-loving industry and community of the last few years has been bombarded with this idea and question of what's happening to the theatrical model. I'm George Edelman, editor-in-chief at No Film School, host of the No Film School podcast. And my guest today is Eddie Hamilton, who is the editor on Top Gun Maverick, which is the movie that seems to finally answer the question of the last few years, which is what's happening to the theatrical model. At least in part, the theatrical model in this case seems very much alive and well. Top Gun Maverick brought a lot of older people back into the theaters, a cohort that had not been heading back into the theaters in the COVID, post-COVID pandemic era. But hey, they're there now for Tom Cruise and for Top Gun Maverick. Eddie and I talk a lot about what makes making this movie different than all others. We talk about his career, how he became an editor, what motivated him, and how he built his career. So if you're interested in things like what are the building blocks to becoming an editor at this scale, meaning, you know, the biggest movies made, this interview certainly holds some of the answers to that, at least the answers Eddie has. But we also talk about a very interesting, fascinating angle to all of this, which is Tom Cruise. What role Tom Cruise has in the movie goes far beyond playing Maverick. And Eddie explains in really good detail a lot of things I didn't know about what it's like to work for and with Tom Cruise. Some of it is quite clear and unsurprising given what we do know about Tom Cruise and his enthusiasm over these movies and the way we think he approaches making them. But this is an impressive amount of work that they put into this movie. And I see, you know, we know that's true on almost every movie, but but the amount of time, the amount of attention to detail, the hard work, there's, you know, again, we know that oftentimes making any level feature is going to take a lot out of everyone involved. But at this scale, everything seems to be larger, both the amount of footage, the amount of reshoots, the amount of time spent on every detail, the amount required of everybody on the crew. And the necessity that everyone maintain this level of enthusiasm and passion and commitment to what they're doing, it's unique. And I'll let Eddie take it away. I'm so happy to have you here. I really appreciate that you're doing this while leaving set on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> You're a busy guy, though, and uh, it's so, very cool. It's my 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 absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on. There's so much to talk about, but I want to start as especially you know Top Gun Maverick, which has come out, which has excited people, which has people in theaters, which is a, just a massive classic blockbuster action movie. But I want to start just by asking you, how did you, as an editor, make the jump? to feature editing and then feature editing some of these super large-scale, complex films. What kind of took you from first projects, shorts, just kind of getting started yeah. and, and doing jobs to making the jump into the, you know, you're at, it's not just the major leagues, it's like the, the highest stakes of the majors. Wow, thank you for that. Um, oh, so uh, it, it's been like a, a single-minded determination since I was like eight years old when I first kind of realized that movies were a thing that people made. And then when I was 17, I kind of figured out that editing, like the combination of storytelling and technology, and I'm quite 
I'm very happy working for hours on my own. You know, that that suits me, suits my personality. So when I was at university, I did a lot of student film and TV. Then I, when I left, I applied for film school in the UK, but I didn't get in anywhere. I always got down to like the last five or the last three people. To, and then I never got offered a place to study editing. And so I, I kind of searched around a little bit. I was I was temping for about a year doing different various different jobs and then I was so unhappy doing that and I was so unfulfilled and I thought no I've really got to give this a go so I remember handing in my notice and giving myself a month to find a job making the tea somewhere which I managed to do and what what was that well it was yeah. it, so so I ended up at this facility uh, called Essential Pictures that was in West London and then they don't exist anymore but they had a, they had avid media composers this was like in 1994 95 maybe so they had very early avid media composers and i remember teaching myself how to use the the avid media composers and they also did betacam sp offline editing so i used like traditional linear edit suites as well but that was my first exposure to kind of computer based digital nonlinear editing and I remember reading the Avid manual from cover to cover and working on all kinds of crazy bits of animation and sports TV shows and all kinds of things. But I always wanted to work in movies. And so after a year and a half or two years doing that, and I remember I worked my, my way up from making the tea to being a kind of editor within about three months in that facility because they, I was cheap. And they needed they they had a lot of programming that they made this this sports TV programming. So they were very happy to not pay me very much. But I was learning my skills and getting very fast on Avid Media right. Composer and learning about offline and online editing and sound mixing and all that stuff. Anyway, I got a job. I, I remember reading about a very low budget film that was going into production in 1996, I think. And so I left my job. Uh, at Essential Pictures and started on this movie. It was a very low-budget movie called Urban Ghost Story, and it was made for very little money. It was shot in three or four weeks, I think, and and I edited it on an Avid with two audio tracks, I remember. But that started my journey into the film industry, and I did many low-budget films and short films, and I used to pay my way. I used to work, edit Paramount, edit, edit promos for the Paramount Comedy Channel two days a week and then edit for free on movies and short films for five days a week. And so I, I uh, did that for about three years, I suppose. And strategically, in your mind, were you thinking, this is how I get Well, you don't really know, but, those- but I knew that I wanted to be in drama editing and I knew that I wanted to be in movies. And I... I made a lot of friends with people who were film making very low budget features you know everything shot on super 16 mil and none of the scripts were necessarily that good and the films didn't really turn out that well but we did get them all we did finish them and but you know every film that you make you kind of meet other people who go on to do other movies or someone may see a low budget movie that you do and realize that they're interested in hiring you for another low budget movie because again i was doing it for virtually nothing you know all this but my big break into kind of slightly bigger movies came in 2001 i remember yeah, I, and I was doing yeah. um i worked on a film that matthew vaughn produced it was called mean machine 
And it had an, a British actor called Vinnie Jones playing football in prison. And I did that. Um, and I, I came on board that movie and worked with yeah. Matthew. And that was kind of started my introduction with Matthew Vaughan. Now, that led on to things like Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, Kingsman. And those movies were really like big steps up, you know, especially X-Men. You know, that was my first studio movie. I was working with Lee Smith. He was the lead editor. And Matthew asked him if, if, if I could co-edit the movie with him. And he very graciously allowed me to do that. I learned a lot. It was the first kind of... Which one? That was X-Men First Class, yeah, that, that Matthew directed. And that was in 2010 we started in that. And the movie came out in 2011. And it was a very quick... Okay, yeah, we, we did yes. that. Um, it was a nine-month... I mean, seven-month shoot and nine months in post. So basically, we were shooting for seven months and then we were editing after the shoot for about two months. So it was very quick turnaround to get it in cinemas. So I, that was, that was quite an interesting experience. And then I did Kingsman with Matthew. And I remember when I, when we were sound mixing Kingsman, I got a call from my agent about maybe meeting to do mission impossible rogue nation. And I did, I went to Leavesden studios and I met Chris McQuarrie and we had a long chat. There was no script at that point. So we just talked about movies in general. And I think he really liked my enthusiasm and my passion. But it, it was about 20 years from starting like my first job working on a media composer in some sport TV to getting the call to do Mission Impossible. Do you see what I mean? So it's a very long road. Um, Yes, <laughs> very much so. But those little, it's those little steps in between that define someone's career yeah. and, and those little moments, those little decisions and opportunities and connections. You the make. main thing is to take every opportunity you can and really set your own bar, the quality control threshold very high. The only thing you have control over in life is what you do with your own skills you know, on a daily basis. That's the only thing that, that you have control over. And so you can say to yourself, I'm going to do the best work I can possibly do today. And hopefully that kind of dedication to excellence and your enthusiasm kind of rubs off on the people around you. And they, they, they enjoy that, you know, when we, when we're collaborating. And so they offer you another job. And certainly that was the case with Matthew. You know, he really liked my enthusiasm, which has never really gone away. You know, I still love what I do and I'm still passionate about it. You know, I still amazed that I get paid to do something that I love so much. When you were eight, I want to go back in time. I think you said seven or eight. Yes. What was it that you were drawn to about movies? What in particular was the thing that made, created the singular focus oh, that oh. said, I'm going to do this? Because it sounds like there was another 10 years before you thought, I'm also going to be an editor, yeah, which is an like, amazing realization. That is true. It's, it's honestly, everyone thinks they're going to be a writer or a director. So they, everyone thinks they're going to be Steven Spielberg, you know, when you start out, because yes. he's, he's, the, <laughs> he's the kind of, or, or now it might be James Cameron or, or Michael Bay or, you know, or, or the Russo brothers or, you know, um, yes. whoever, whoever your 
idol is but you know there's a whole generation who saw titanic there's a whole generation who saw who saw jurassic park there's a whole generation there's a whole generation who are watching marvel movies now some kids are watching top gun maverick and falling in love with movies which is very exciting but the movie that did it for me i remember i didn't go to the cinema much as a kid but i did see star wars on tv in 1980 it was shown here so Mm. three years after it was released in in the uk and it was on a commercial channel. We only had three channels back then, but it was like like in America, you had ABC, NBC, and CBS. But it was similar to, it was similar in the UK. And the sh- the film started at eight and finished at ten thirty, and my bedtime was nine o'clock when I was eight years old. So I was only allowed to watch half the movie. But we did record it on a Betamax tape, and I remember getting up at mm-hmm. four o'clock the next morning, going <laughs> down and and putting the tape in and watching the rest of the movie with the volume turned down really low. So I didn't wake my parents up who were sleeping (laughs) in the bedroom directly above. And I remember having such an incredible experience, spiritual experience watching that film and seeing the, the, you know, the Death Star trench run and the music and the, just everything about it. It was ultimate escapism. And it was like living out a dream for real, you know, and I remember seeing people's names at the end yes. and just thinking, oh, my God, do people do this? And can I, can I possibly be a part of this? And I remember from literally it was like a light switch. I remember from that day just constantly listening to film soundtracks, reading books about movies, and then watching any behind-the-scenes you know, special features. Back then it was on VHS tapes, you know, but when DVDs came along and, you know, and then the internet watching as much as I could, all that stuff. And and just immersing myself in the world of movies and trying to watch as many classic films as I could based on what the local video store had, you know, on VHS tapes that I could rent. And there were a couple of teachers at school. I remember who were very, who were film fanatics and they really encouraged me and, one of them was into foreign films and the, and the other one was into technology. So I had one teacher who showed me a lot of foreign movies, Italian movies, French movies, and another teacher who kind of introduced me to the world of editing, really, mm. editing and sound. And so I owe them a lot of gratitude, you know, for, for getting me involved in that when I was 17, which kind oh. of introduced me to that side of the, of the process, you know. And you can't, I mean, Star Wars is near and dear to my heart as well, but you can't do much better in terms of something that, that puts yep. on display all the, the magic of the technology, the capabilities of, of editing and of sound. Those things, I mean, that movie is just so well cut. It's, it's yeah. like a Swiss it's, watch, it's you know? It's so well and cut. The, and and the sound is beautiful. The sound is like, and then you know, all of it. But Yeah, I had, I'll tell you a story. I, um, when we were doing our temp mixes on Top Gun Maverick, we were at the Skywalker Ranch in San Francisco, or not, you know, Marin County, north of San Francisco. And I remember having breakfast one morning and being introduced yes. to Ben Burt and saying to Ben, listen, can I just buy you breakfast and ask <gasps> you all my Star Wars questions? And he was incredibly gracious. And he actually <laughs> he, he invited me into his studio so cool. at Skywalker and showed me like his the original script that he had from 1975 with all his handwritten notes of sounds that he needed. And he showed me the original scuba diving mask that he used for Darth Vader 
which he had there and all kinds of amazing stuff. Oh, so, so cool. yeah, I, the, the, I was able to really geek out there and he was such a nice man and so approachable and so, and, and just delighted to talk about his, you know, what he'd done in the past. So I was so grateful for that. The innovations, just all the innovations and creativity behind not it was just pushing the limits of what's possible, which Top Gun Maverick, which you guys are doing. <laughs> this is this movie is and and it's like it's funny talking about Star Wars. Obviously, thematically, these are very different things. But the idea of saying we're making a big movie, a drama that will be for multiple age ranges, but that, but that's fun. That's, that's going to push the limits and show people something, give them an experience, all these things that you talked about wanting to do. So in a way it's like you, you came, you, you've culminated in doing those yeah. things. Um, I want to ask you a little specifically, like, you know, working with the cameras they, they gave you, they made for this doing IMAX footage. Also just the kind of stunt, stuff and special effect and visual effect and everything that you're working with. Can you tell us? Well, okay, let's break down. Yeah, <laughs> That's please. a lot of ones. Let's just start with, yeah, let's just start with, tell me a little bit about these cameras from an editing standpoint and the footage you're getting and how, how does it change or impact the process for you? So you've got IMAX, you've got these Sonys that were built or, or accustomed for the project, right? Was it something of a discussion of like, how is this going to change the way we tell the story? Um, or is it going to change the pacing? Or does this change which sequences go in which direction? Or just from an editing standpoint and kind of putting it all together, um, what, what, is, what made it different than maybe prior? prior? That is interesting. Tasks? I think um, what's different really is the quantity of footage that I had. It, didn't, it wasn't really so much the IMAX aspect ratio. And I didn't, I didn't really adjust the kind of cutting patterns. I didn't really adjust how I cut the film because it was IMAX. I, I just told the story the best way, or we as a team, because it's a team effort. I can't, I honestly can't take credit, you know, for the whole movie because, you know, you've got Tom Cruise and Jerry Bruckheimer and Joe Kaczynski and, and Christopher McQuarrie, who are the brain trust behind this, and Claudio Miranda, the DP, obviously. But the quantity of footage was a challenge and, uh, you know, breaking it all down and staying on top of it as, as we were filming it, because we, it was very long days on the naval bases. You know, we would get to the naval base at 6am and, and normally leave around half past nine or 10 o'clock. So it was very long days. And whenever they sent up the jets, they would record between 20 minutes to 40 minutes on each flight with six, six of those IMAX cameras running. And that's it, just so much. Yeah. It's so, it's so much. So much the, the, actors, deal the actors would start and stop the cameras in the air. They would have to do their own hair and makeup. They would check that the sun was over their shoulder in the correct place. Um, you know, and I attended all these briefings. So before every flight, there was a two hour briefing about what they were going to get. So I was in on those. So I understood the intention of the flight. And it was almost overwhelming at times, you know, the, 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 how to manage the gigantic quantities of footage coming in every day. But I, what I did is I, I didn't try to edit anything. I just tried to stay on top of it. I had an amazing associate editor called Laura Creasy, who was one of my team, one of my assistant editorial team. And what she did is she started to build 
sequences and make gigantic selects rolls of everything so that by the time we came to start to edit the scenes she had done a lot of the prep work for me and started assembling the scenes you know um but it was still months and months and months and months of work after that and you knew even looking at those that there was tons of footage for everything or there were so many choices you know so many choices and the tricky thing was they filmed the interior shots of the pilots months before the exterior shots of the planes so I was initially starting to edit the sequences just with the interior shots. And, and for the exterior, sometimes we would use storyboards. Sometimes we would use bits of previs. But the other thing that we did is we had these model jets on wooden sticks. And during the briefings, they would, they would sort of act out with these little model jets what they were going to do in the air for real. So quite often we'd film this on an iPhone or on a little camera mm. and, and, and like have like <laughs> little stick jets moving, which I could then use to roughly cut in just to give some kind of geography. But it was not very dynamic and stuff. But that, those are the tricks that we kind of used. And then eventually, months later, we went and we filmed exterior shots. So they would put shots on FA cameras on the exterior of F-18s and then they would film from helicopters or other jets or from the ground with long lenses to get the, the shots of the, the actual exterior shots of the jets in each different location, you know. And there were lots of different naval bases we filmed that to, to give us different types of terrain so that the aerial Such sequences were all different. It's a staggering undertaking. Um, yeah, it's a massive, I mean, it was months. It, it, it's, it's just, it, like, yeah. we, filmed, we filmed for about a year which is a very, very long time, you know, um, although, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it, sometimes we, it was like, it's never going to end. You know, you're, when you're really deep in it, it, you can't see a way out. You're just right in, in the, in the weeds. And so, you know, but you have to just trust the process. And on a film like this, we have the time to do a really thorough job. And I yeah. felt the weight of expectation every day. You know, I'm a fan of the original Top Gun most people going to see this movie are going to have their arms crossed going, why are you making this? It's a terrible idea. So we wanted to make sure that we respected their memories of the first movie and respected what Tony Scott achieved and, 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 and gate, you know, welcomed people back into the world and gave them just a great night at the movies, you know, so that we'd win them over, hopefully win them over very quickly by, opening the movie in the exact same way we that the first movie opened you know yeah the same music well, and, and the same typeface and jane danger zone and all that you know i think you managed to because <laughs> i think that's what the response has shown um yeah. i want to ask you mentioned something about you know at the beginning grouping together with this leadership this brain trust that includes bruckheimer Cruz, macquarie like a lot of Heavy hitter yeah. names in the history of this so. of this industry, not just yes. right now. When that happens, when you're talking, when you're when you're coming into the fold, and and people yeah. are talking through this stuff, how do you approach it? So, um, how what how do you approach the process of working with all of them? And and yeah. when there are so many powerful voices, can it become overwhelming? Just like all the footage, when it comes yeah. to, or were they always on the same page? You know, maybe, maybe, or sometimes is it like, oh my God, there's like, there are these, it's like a Godzilla versus King Kong of of movie notes. No, it's, it's the the great thing is that on, on 
Top Gun and on Mission Impossible, there's a committee of one person who is Tom, who has final cut on the movie. And ultimately, we are all trying to make the, a film that he loves and is proud of, you know. And, and he it really has kind of the final creative say over every part of the process. And I mean that from the very inception of the idea. Joe Kaczynski came up with the pitch of Maverick is a test pilot. He's called back to Top Gun. He ends up having to teach, you know, Goose's son and take him on a mission. And by the end of the movie, they resolve their differences. You know, that, that core idea was Joe's. And then how, how every step of the way after that, in terms of, you know, casting and locations and, and, you know, cinematography and sound and editorial and music, that's all filtered through Tom ultimately. And so all of us are just working with that in mind. A lot of people think sometimes we assume something like that, but we don't know for a fact. But when it comes to him, and now you've worked with him this way on a number of things and you're, and you're doing it currently again, how, did you realize the two of you that you were going to click or did you realize like, I get what this guy is about and what he's looking for? And can you explain what it is? Well, he loves enthusiasm and he loves people who work hard and who really know what they're doing. And he loves collaboration. And, but the main thing is passion for the job, passion and, and hard work. That's really what it comes down to. And honesty, I love them. I love the movies as much as him and I want the movies to be as great as he wants them to be because I love mm. movies and I love movie going and I want to, to give audiences that experience. And, and I, I have to be very honest with him about if something is working or if it is not working. And he really values that. Is that at all intimidating? <laughs> is that an intimidating? Yeah, sometimes. You know, it was to begin with, because I really, you know, on Rogue Nation, you know, I didn't, I hadn't worked with him before ever, but, you know, he could tell that I was super passionate and he could tell that I was really working hard and wanted the movie to be great. You know, he, he sets the bar very high himself for his own dedication and, and passion and hard work. And if you share those ideals, then he really responds well to that, I think, as does Chris McQuarrie and Jerry Bruckheimer and Joe Kaczynski. You know, we all really want to work hard and make a great film at the end of the day. And um, I just love, I'm so passionate about delivering a great experience for the audience. I'm, I just want the movie to be awesome. And I think, you know, they know that I don't settle and I'm very thorough. You know, I there was... 813 hours of footage on Top Gun Maverick. And I went through all of it meticulously. Wow. And, you know, with the, with the aid of my team, don't get me wrong, by my sure. assistant editors, but I do go through it all. And I know that every, all the best shots that were in that footage are in the movie without a shadow of a doubt. And where the movie was too long or where, where the sequences were too long and where we compressed them, the nine out of 10 shots got, lifted out and the 10 out of 10 shots got left so every shot that's in there is just a great great shot you know so it and there is no other footage it's like if you tried to make another top gun you would just be using all the cast offs from this one and it wouldn't be as good because i know that all the best <laughs> shots are in there you know i love that 
I love that there's you can say it with such certainty. And I hear echoes of things he says through the media all yeah, it's so interesting because when Chris Levinson and, and Billy Weber edited the first Top Gun, there are in the behind the scenes special features, there's an interview with them saying Paramount were going to make a sequel and, and, and they just said, well, you can use all the pieces of the jets that you didn't use. And they said, guys, we've used every single good shot of a jet. And I remember thinking, how on earth can they say that? <laughs> because like, how can you know for sure? But I, Having done it myself now for two long years, working very long hours every day, you know, six days a week for two years, I know that every good shot is in that movie. (laughs) It's just, I was just really thorough. It's funny because you say it, but I believe you because (laughs) because I know, (laughs) I know one who you were working with, but I also know that the way you're talking about making sure that this was a great night at the movies, that this was awesome, that every shot was great, that you, it's like, I can hear, you know, the echo of things that Tom Cruise has said about movies he makes. And I, yeah. I can tell that the, that, that part of the reason they like, you guys like work together well, part of the reason you're continuing to do these projects and they're coming out this way is because there's a like-mindedness about what's our priority here and how are we going to get to it? And does it mean you said right at the open of this interview, you said something about the only thing you can control is how hard you're going to work at your little corner of whatever it yes. is. There's yeah. definitely a, a mission statement here from every every response. It's not just about what I think. Like the world seems to have responded to in the with the desired result. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, you're right. And and you can go your entire career and and not have a result of a movie like this. And so I know this is very rare and I'm, I feel very, it was very hard work, but I'm, I'm so, I'm, I, I feel like, you know, this has had such a profound effect on the audiences around the world. And I'm so grateful to be, have been a part of it and to have that experience. You know, it's, it's what you, it's what you dream. Yeah. And the, the timing is great. I mean, I feel like there's been a lot said about the timing and, it, it, you know, put the theatrical experience back in the forefront as desired, again, as intended. Um, and, and this, and with Mission Impossible kind of working along in the same kind of mentality and approach. I'm curious about something else. Is there a lot of discussion? Because we've heard, you know, this is in this day and age, there's tons of content on all kinds of platforms and screen sizes. But is there frequently a discussion that's like, this is how we make a movie for the big screen? Can you tell us a little bit about what you do different? I know there's ways that it's shot, and I know there's, you know, there's jets, you know, there's obvious stuff. But are there ways when yeah. you're cutting scenes, just with people talking or just in general, where you, where you guys as a team discuss, yeah. like, this is for a big screen and this is how we do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's about giving the audience an emotional experience, a purely emotional experience. And if you're on a big screen, what you have is the full attention of the audience in theory. Obviously, there are people's phones and, you know, there's popcorn and soda and what have you. But but it's not like when you're at home where you know you can press pause and, you know, you can take a bathroom break or whatever. It's like the audience has, has paid money to be there and they want to love the film and you have their full attention. And so every second of the movie matters, right? Every frame of the movie matters. Every line of dialogue, every graphic that you put up that that helps tell the story of the mission that they've got to do. You know, every 
sound piece of sound design, every piece of music really matters because people are wholeheartedly engaged and we want to give them an emotional journey from the beginning of the movie to the end, which is uninterrupted, you know, without Mm. any bumps in the road. And so we work incredibly hard to, to deliver that experience and, and we stress test every second of the movie. So it really, really works. And we use the extra time in lockdown to really dial that in, I will say. How do you stress test? Oh, you, you, you okay. So, so you, go, you go through, you literally look at every shot in the movie and you ask yourself, is this in the correct place? Is it the correct length? Is it the best version of the story that we can tell? And uh, you go through every frame and you look at it and you go, is this the exact frame I should be cutting on to communicate the emotion that I want to tell to the audience, you know, and we go through the scenes dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times, just checking to make sure that it's as tight and as emotional and as good as it can be. You know, the, the, there's no shortcuts and, and we, we have the time to do that thoroughly, you know, and the other thing to remember is that these movies are very subjective. So you are, they're single protagonist. Tom Cruise movies are like single protagonist movies. You are following his character and you're in his character's point of view for most of the film. So it's a very subjective experience for the audience, meaning you're connected to the character of Maverick and you're experiencing the film through his point of view and you're experiencing his emotions as he's experiencing them. And you very rarely leave his point of view in a Tom Cruise movie. So if you think about Mission Impossible is a team movie, but you're telling the story from the point of view of Ethan Hunt most of the time. You may be with a antagonist, like you may be with a villain for a short amount of time and you may yeah. leave Ethan's point of view. But generally, when you're with Ethan, the scenes are told from his point of view. And Top Gun is no different. You know, there's a pyramid. So Maverick is at the top of the pyramid. And then underneath that, it's Rooster. And then Hangman are kind of underneath. And then it's Phoenix and Bob and Payback and Fanboy. And then Penny there as well. And Coyote and, and the other pilots. But the, the, the relationship, the core protagonist is Maverick. And the main relationship, the main conflict in the movie is between Maverick and Rooster. So you're focusing the story on their relationship exclusively. If you're not engaged with that or you're not following it enough you have to look at the sequences and remove stuff which is not specifically about that Mm. conflict in order to really focus the scenes on that so even in the bar when you're meeting all the pilots you know when rooster walks in we pivot around maverick when phoenix walks in we pivot around maverick so we're constantly in his point of view and we are we, we imagine that he is observing the pilots from across the bar, you know, with Penny. And that's just how these movies, how, how you try and hold the audience's hand through the storytelling, making sure that even in the final mission, you know, you're, you're with Maverick the whole time. He takes off from the aircraft carrier. He looks around at the pilots that are with him. He says, dagger attack. He sees the, mis- the Tomahawk missiles go over the top. He says two minutes, 30 seconds mark, and they all mark the time. And then he's saying, you know, enemy Sam's overhead, you know, 
and they're keeping track and come on rooster and so you know it's all based around maverick's experience and even the music that we're playing that very oppressive dark quite intense music that's playing as they fly into the enemy territory is is telling you how maverick is feeling about the fact that this mission is not going to end well and someone's probably not coming back and you know he's really worried about rooster's ability to deliver you know it makes um, it the way again hearing you describe it it falls in line with the relationship that that all of you have on the set to tom cruise because he's the character and in a way it feels like this aligns the whole process in the he can help very literally as an actor to help you guide you guys because he knows where his perspective is right it seems like an obvious statement but as the person portraying the moments and portraying the perspective he can watch it and talk to you from his that his craft is acting you know so he can say he's not an editor but he can say to you like well this is kind of the this is the intent this is how yeah he's he's very articulate about you know the the emotional content of each scene and he's very he can articulate when he's not feeling it. You know, if he watches a scene and he's not connected to his character or to the emotion that he wants the audience to feel at that moment, then he will say, that's the notes that you get. They're very emotional notes. You know, hmm. what he's not feeling and what he wants the audience to feel. And so our job is to, is to, is to steer the movie in that direction so that we're taking the audience and we're pushing their emotions in this direction or that direction you know which is that's all you do when you buy a movie ticket you want to buy an emotional experience that's that's it that's all it is it's like do i care about the characters do i care about what's going to happen next and that's that's purely an emotional thing yeah do you ever need to sort of say like you said to him sometimes like you'll say i'm not you're not feeling it or you'll say like i don't see that this isn't going to work this isn't working and here's why sometimes, you use the same language like emotion yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't sometimes, thrill us um, or it doesn't make us sad yeah, or you know but but what we do in that case if you've been through all the footage and it's not working you re- go and reshoot something so you go right. back on the set and you do it better you have another go at it so some of the scenes we shot twice, some scenes we shot three times, you know, or we'd go back and get additional close-ups or different angles on the actors in order to, to create a certain emotional reaction in the audience. You know, the Iceman scene was very difficult to get right. We did have, we took three goes at that before we got it right, you know. Three, three meaning two different reshoots, like not even, like different yeah, times. No, 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 it was two different, like they did it once and it didn't work. It was outside. We filmed it outside, and then we had it. Then we rewrote the scene so it was in his study, and then we went back and did pickups on that. If that makes sense, until because we just wanted to. It had to be perfect. I mean, the whole movie has to be perfect. Don't get me wrong; it has to be a slam dunk. But that particular scene (laughs) with um, that particular scene with Val Kilmer, you know, there's going to be a lot of people really invested in that moment and it has to be perfect and it has to be elegant and it has to be respectful of him as an actor and it has to be emotional and it and and you have to be able to take your time in that scene you know and even though you're being blasted with jets before and after or straight after with the beach (laughs) football you know you you have to give people time to spend you know a moment with these characters and really feel the emotion of that scene. 
I'll end on this. And I appreciate all your time and all your thoughtful answers. Um, of course. It's a pleasure. It's amazing to work in a situation. And I wish more movies have the capacity to do this, where you can just keep saying it's not exactly right or doing it again. Yes. Um, I'm sure it's also exhausting from your standpoint. But if you're speaking to people who are just because you've been there on this on the other side, too. There's just no way to redo things or there's just no, you don't have the latitude, you know? Yep. How do you advise people to kind of like work through struggles or stuff that's not perfect or, you know, if you can't make it perfect, like what are your, what are your major pieces of advice for editors? um, Show it to friends, trusted friends, and then show it to strangers. So you've got like a concrete idea of what is working and what needs to be improved. Okay. Make sure that the audience is never confused. It's really important or bored. You know, there has to be clarity of geography and clarity of emotion and everything has to land correctly. You know, the story that you're trying to tell has to, has to land for the audience. And sometimes confusion can be what makes them kind of withdraw from the story because they're just like, Mm. I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling or I don't know what, what you're trying to tell me here. I'm, I'm confused by it. And then that's a problem. But, you know, if something's not working, you can change the music. You can add lines over people's shoulders to clarify certain bits of story. If it's not working, add extra ADR. You can intercut scenes. That's a trick that we use a lot, whereby if you've got a scene that isn't working and another scene that isn't working, you might be able to intercut the two scenes and, and just streamline them both and give them a new sense of purpose by juxtaposing the imagery and the intent of the story in the two scenes. And you can, you can even if you've got very little resources, you can find a way to go back and do little pickups and inserts to help clarify bits of story. Quite often it's close-ups that you're missing. Mm, and, yeah. and you can go and film a close-up on somebody and not really worry about the background so much, you know? Um, and that we did that a lot like Maverick waking up in the snow, uh, you know, after he, he's shot down those, those ups of him waking up in the snow were filmed like five months after the exterior shots of him waking up, you know, where they, where we filmed it yeah. you know, in the actual snowy landscape. Cause we realized we wanted to be with Maverick when he was waking up. So we went and we got in a studio, we got some snow, we put it on the, we got a snow machine and we put some snow on a little part of the stage and we did a close up of Tom opening his eyes and waking up, you know, and that because we wanted to kind of reconnect the audience with his character at that moment. Yes. So you can, there's a lot of things that you can do. The sound mix can really help as well, you know, but, but quite often editing tricks of making a scene more cutty to give it more energy is something that you can do if you, if you don't quite have, the kind of action-packed coverage that you want. So, but uh, and there are plenty of low-budget movies that have succeeded in doing that. But those are all the yeah. tricks that you need to consider. Yeah, those are very helpful. Again, uh, thank you so much for taking the time, and I'm excited for you in the film. Best of luck with this current one, and hopefully we'll we'll have you back. Sometime. That's great, George. I'm so grateful. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks for inviting me on. Of course. Thanks, Eddie. Okay. Bye. Cheerio. Thanks so much, Eddie, for coming on the podcast. Thanks all of you for listening and making it to the end here. I was surprised, not surprised, 
by a lot of the things he said about Tom sort of being the ultimate word on everything. And also hearing so much of what we expect out of the Tom Cruise sort of um, approach echoed in the way Eddie talked about making the movie. I think we know a lot of these things, but it's still that absolute, like, laser, unblinking focus on every shot, (laughs) every aspect, and the cost that comes with. You know, he said in passing that it was like, at times in the middle of it, you wonder if it'll ever end. You know, in the end, this movie did end, and it's been quite a success. So, mission accomplished for Top Gun Maverick, certainly. and. You know, all the things that that Tom Cruise puts into the I want to keep people going to the theaters, it worked out. I think it's also proof, personally, my own opinion, for anyone still listening who cares, (laughs) I think that it's also a sign that if you have this kind of unlimited resources thing, you can pretty much do what you want with a movie. And so much of what makes a movie fail or succeed on, on all the different levels we judge them by is how they work, they being the team, the creatives, the producers, everybody, how they work with what they have resource-wise. And we know in the case of a Top Gun Maverick that the resources are actually pretty vast. The ability to do things precisely to somebody's specifications, um, that's honestly pretty uncommon. That's not the way the majority of this industry and art works. So it is very fascinating to hear from people who work on something that actually goes that way. They say, this is what we wanted to do. And we worked on it until we did it. This podcast is littered with interviews that talk about to both the detriment and to the great advantage of the films that they produce. Filmmakers talking about how they did not get to do precisely what they wanted. As we all know, sometimes that's where creativity comes from. So it's an interesting, unique circumstance. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Um, Be sure to check out all kinds of things about tech, education, and news in the filmmaking world at nofilmschool.com. Please be sure to leave a comment, like, rate, and subscribe. Send us questions at editor at nofilmschool.com. We will answer them on our weekly show, which comes out almost always on Thursdays. And these interviews continue to come out on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. Be sure to go back through the archives. There's a lot of really interesting people that we've had the pleasure to speak with. And I can even forget oftentimes the kinds of luminaries we've had on here from Bob Gale to Walter Murch to Frank Oz to, you know, you name it. There have been so many, so many amazing talents that have taken the time to talk to us and hopefully continue to do so. But um, it's been a real blessing. And so we hope you enjoy these interviews and and we will continue to do them. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. 